know, this isn't a weather podcast slash radio show, but I do have to say, I, I, I live in Kitsilano. It's fantastic. You know, it's, it's a beautiful city. So for context, I come from Ontario. It's flat as a pancake. It's very nice. It's, it's a nice part of the world. Too. I, I, I wouldn't say any part of Canada is necessarily a bad part of the world, having been across the country. But this is some uniquely beautiful stuff here. And I just want to say how much we got to appreciate that because there are rare moments when the sun is shining unconditionally and I want to appreciate those. Let me just adjust the uh, microphone there. There we go. We're good. Um, first things first, uh, we have some coverage on Blindside. Now, Blindside is a show we're actually going to be reviewing that um, soon, but not now. I just want to shout this out because this is um, a really fascinating kind of show. This is by Stephanie Marine Morin Robert, excuse me. Uh, a, a, a storyteller, choreographer, and comedian. Uh, also, I believe she did some work in criticism. And it's a physical comedy, which is already pretty hard to do. Like, I, I don't know if anyone has ever heard me expound on Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. Physical comedy's hard. Like, just take a look at, um, oh, um, French guy, French Charlie Chaplin, Jacques Tati. Um, look up the clip of him with the, uh, the paint bucket, because, uh, it, it, it's really hard to describe over the radio being as this is an auditory medium. It's a visual gag, but it's some truly amazing physical comedy, and that's uh, worth looking up. So that's difficult. And Stephanie Marine Robert has put together this show based on her experiences with uh, retinoblastoma. And so for those uh, unaware, um, retinoblastoma is a form of cancer um, which attacks the retina. It attacks the eyes of children. So that's pretty That's pretty distressing. No kidding. Um, and it's about coming of age, you know, with, uh, well, with, with one eye and then a glass eye. And that's interesting. It's interesting to me because it's, it's this outsider kind of thing. And this is, this is the quote here. There, Stephanie recounts her life as a feisty seven-year-old seven who wields her glass eye as a superpower in a daring and honest performance that has touched and inspired audiences internationally. And my favorite line is the one right below this, which is, Blindside is a comedy which is raw, elegant, and eye-popping. Literally. <laughs> that, that's good stuff, you know, because if you, have a, if, you, if you have a glass eye, like, I'm trying to think of um, other actors, other... Um, figures, pop cultural figures who've had a glass eye. Like, there's Peter Falk from um, from Columbo. And Columbo is a classic series. And Peter Falk's look had definitely had a part of that, the, the one eye that was glass. Um, uh, oh, Alice Walker, Color Purple. Uh, she was, I think I think her story is she was shot in the eye with a BB gun. Uh, similar to a story from, one of the stories from Fun Home, actually, when Alison Bechtel, uh, her first girlfriend... Uh, mentions being shot in the eye with, an, with a toy arrow when she was younger, like in the in the 1960s when you could just give your kids weapons and like yeah it checks out that's fine. Well, little little little, little, little Timmy's got a Tommy gun. Oh, okay, cool, whatever. Or yeah, and, and then like you know like there's I think Dennis Leary had a bit about that. You know when you um how when people used to give their kids literal weapons you know that, that would be funny because like like when, when i was younger i used to get like um well you know sticks and things like that and you can you can really do some damage to someone with a piece of wood but you know it takes a little bit of effort like just a little bit of figure out how to go with that you know just just to swing and whatever but if you have something especially made for that it doesn't really help good lord me staying on topic right um so yeah alice walker 
uh, shot, her eye got shot out. Sammy Davis, so Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, yeah, he had, um, he was, uh, uh, oh, he had a great line about that. Um, not sure if I can, I'm, for, for, just for context, I am quoting something he said directly, but, uh, someone asked him, I think, I think the context was they asked him if he felt like a minority. And he said, minority? I actually probably shouldn't try to do an impression of his voice. But he said, minority? I'm a one-eyed Negro Jew. If I move into a neighborhood, I wipe it out. And that's, again, he said that verbatim. Please look it up. Um, like, something like that, you know, he, and that was, he didn't have, wonder if he had retinoblastoma. He did, he did have cancer. He did die of esophageal cancer. He was a very heavy smoker. Um, you know, stay, stay, off the, stay off the butts, kids. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a weird thing, you know. Um, you know, smoking for for kids like smoking cigarettes. Like I was thinking about uh, Mac DeMarco the other day, um, partially because because I have to because I'm in arts coverage and I live in Vancouver. You can't not think about Mac DeMarco at some points. Um, and he was talking about like he's got um, Ode to Viceroy off of two, right? And that's that's a great album. It's a great I love that album, um, but. In that one, I remember there was an interview with him on Hot Ones, and he was talking about not being able to quit uh, smoking. And it was it was interesting to me because that's it's something it's so difficult to do now. Like most areas, you can't smoke. But like one thing I realize, one thing I kind of notice is that you've got the um, the dog owners uh, a lot of the time are the people smoking because, and I wonder about that, because owning a dog and smoking cigarettes are both really expensive hobbies. Like, I mean, both probably used to be a lot cheaper, a lot easier. Um, Definitely smoking was. But, you know, I wonder, like, I sometimes wonder if the dog is sometimes almost an excuse to smoke, like to to walk out, because you got to do the walk, right? It gets you out of the house. You know, and, and, you know, companionship and understanding unconditional love. But, you know, that. that <laughs> just that. Just unconditional love. Yeah. Just just, just that. Little things like that. That's, um, yeah. But I, I, I kind of wonder about that because it, it's, um, it's, it's a really unpleasant, like, I, I guess I'm so, I, I don't smoke cigarettes. I, um, I, I, I do smoke cigars, but the, um, sometimes, but the, um, the thing is that, Cigarettes are—they're really awful-smelling things. Like it's just—it's just the smells like like terrible. Like just beyond the myriad uh, health effects, it's just—they don't—they don't smell good. I can't—I can't imagine. Well, it's rich coming from me again, cigars, but can't imagine they taste good either. I don't know. It's—it's it's one thing I, I really wonder how if you're a kid now because it doesn't seem like something you would start doing as an adult, because it's just too many things in the way. You'd have to make an effort. But if you're a kid, like, I think that's the only way. I think that's the way most people start smoking before they're legally able to. Like, I remember um, Thank You for Smoking. It's a great movie. Um, they they have uh, BR, who's played by uh, J.K. Simmons. He's like, teen smoking is our bread and butter. And part of it is that, that about uh, cigarette market, marketing. That's a great movie. Yeah, check it out. You got some... Got some air in that card. I wonder where he went. Um, returning back to the topic of, of famous Cyclops, I got I gotta think of think of another one. Um, I guess. Oh yeah, Fetty Wap. Fetty Wap has uh, has one eye. Um, that is most of the information I know about Fetty Wap. Other than that, he sounds like a walrus being punched. 
Um, he actually was like I, I remember when Trap Queen was like really big, like in first year. Um, and I didn't, I don't get it, man. Like it's just um, the thing is that I get why he's interesting because it's like. Who am I trap queen talking about your labels? I actually don't know the lyrics to the song, so I'm just trying to improvise. Um, it's like, it, it, it's this weird kind of, uh, it, it's not really sing rapping, it's more like singing, but like, uh, like I said, he sounds like a walrus being punched. Uh, thank God, I think Todd in the Shadows uh, for that one. But I don't know, man, like, like he was a guy has some kind of charisma or else honestly the song wouldn't have worked the way it did I don't think cuz it's a really I remember like the lyrics were like really cliche like they still have the the rap cliche like you know like it's it's it, it, it's it's trap queen so it's technically it's technically a trap song god that genre needs to go away look i i know i've gotten really far off topic but but why not at this point like uh the the thing is that uh, so I, I I watch the I check out the needle drop it's it's a good uh, it's a YouTube review channel uh, by a guy named uh, Anthony Fantano um, and basically most people probably heard probably heard of it if you if you're if you're listening to this you probably are aware of it but um he's got a phrase called peak trap and like this is the thing I'm not I'm not a trap guy like honestly I am pretty ignorant about the state of of hip hop as as a genre. But but here's the thing, I, I I will give it credibility. I'll give it credibility because it's hard to write a very lyrical genre, and it really I think that poetry, hip hop, and uh, slam poetry, hip hop, and stand up comedy are at the three sort of prongs or, th- or three no three vertices of a triangle sort of in uh, a sort of. Uh, contemporary art scene because poetry's on the, not art maybe not art scene but like uh, audio 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 medium I suppose because rap hip hop is currently the dominant musical form and that 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 that's that's reasonable I think like, it, it's risen in popularity pretty dramatically and um, stand up comedy is actually is at a new degree of credibility and uh, poetry is on the rise again and that's uh, that's interesting to me because like. Uh, as uh, those who might have listened to the last show, I thought out like I wouldn't have thought of many um, people making a living off of poetry, but you can, and that's 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 pretty that's a pretty inspiring thing, um, input wise. But the thing about trap rap, I, I I don't like that skittery snare sound on the drum. Just stylistically, I don't like it. Um, also, the whole SoundCloud mumble thing. I know it's not the same, but there's a lot of overlap, and I, it it goes back to the Migos, right? Like I, I don't I don't know. To to me, the the Migos sound like are they? I I want to compare them to the Eagles, but the Eagles had like that insane kind of song craft where even if the song you know, it was really bland. It was, like, really well put together. Like, I think the Migos have one brain between them, and that's just the the sort of way that goes. I don't think, uh, for the record, though, that it's it's, it's a necessarily bad or corrupt genre. It's just not my taste. Uh, the, the thing, though, is that I think it's it's getting to peak, peak trap is what the, the Anthony Fantano said about it. Because peak trap is, as he said, basically reaches the point where... It's a very simple genre. It's been copied, and it's going to get saturated. And that's what happens with with musical genres. And simplicity helps a lot. Like when you think about, um, well, uh, punk may not be a good example of it, but when you can do anything really easily and it gets proliferated over a lot of different mediums, then yeah, uh, then then yeah, of course people are going to um, people are going to 
do something, you know, that, that kind of wears it out because, uh, you know, it, it, it becomes a gimmick. It gets it sort of gets old. And like uh, I don't know what the triplet flow is necessarily. Like I wouldn't be able to do an impression of it, but I know the Migos do. Oh, no, it's, it's the it's the Versace, Versace, Versace. I saw the video on this and they used the, the song as a sample. I don't know what it means. Uh, it sounds like the thing um, Killer Mike did on that one. Yeah. yeah. But the um, the thing is that when it's easy enough to do and you get this sort of lo-fi SoundCloud production, it's uh, – it's it, it's uh it, it's not terrifically uh it's it's it, it's I, I I really don't want to say it's sloppy I don't want to be like oh damn kids because because one I I am in that demographic and and two again I don't think there's such thing as an inherently bad genre like if you judged all rock and roll by to quote it famously bad example of rock and roll Nickelback. And you would still, even if you were narrowing a definition of rock and roll to be what sounded like Nickelback, you'd have to acknowledge Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and, and Allison Chains, maybe. Yeah, those guys, though. And directly descended from them are Nickelback and Creed. So directly descended from them are Nickelback and Creed. So when you think about it that way, you, you, there's going to be an up and a down to any genre. But this is the thing about Trap Rap. I just don't like the sound of it. And this is another thing that is really, really jarring to me. When I listen to songs, I legitimately can't tell them apart. Like, I can't, um, like, the, any of the Lil guys, uh, Lil, Lil Pete, he's dead, right? Oh, oh he's dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, so it goes. Uh, Lil Zahn, the, I, 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 I don't know the difference between them stylistically they all sound very similar to me like they have the same sort of mush mouth flow um and i i don't, I don't get it I just, I just don't get it um i think think lil yadi's actually kind of hilarious but i mean i think he's good um yeah yeah the cello done work that way <sighs> where did how did i get here oh yeah fetty wap guy with one eye who else is only one eye mad eye moody yeah no, no, that actor doesn't. Really, no, I, I don't know who, who played Mad Eye Moody. That's um, something I got to check out now. Don't you love you can just Google something? Like that—that's the thing. I make a lot of weird references, and I get that I do. Brendan Gleeson played him. Yes, oh, I love Brendan Gleeson. That guy's a great actor. As a long and fruitful partnership with the McDonough brothers. Um, when I and when there's a weird reference though. Like, say, if I wanted to compare Brendan Gleeson with Jackie Gleeson, which would be unoriginal, yes. But, you know, I think it'd be unoriginal and be at least obvious. But you guys can look up who Jackie Gleeson is if you, if you don't know. You, you can do that. And that's, that's what I do whenever someone sends me a reference. Like, half the time I'm listening to a Dennis Miller routine. I'm like, okay, look that up, look that up. Haha, <laughs> Peter O'Toole. Yeah, it's uh, – and you can do that. That's the great thing about the internet. If I say I look like a funhouse mirror reflection of Burt Lancaster, which is true, I like to think it's true, then yes, you can look that up. You can look up Burt Lancaster and you can look up some of Burt Lancaster's films because there's, those are great films. Burt Lancaster was a charming actor. And in Sweet Smell of Success, he was legitimately terrifying. So, yeah. Yeah. I realize I'm dispensing a lot of recommendations right now. We're, we're, we're trying something. We're, we're trying something out here. But, you know, it, 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 it's it's a fun time for me. It's it's all interconnected. World's postmodern. I don't know. You know, postmodern is a, a pretty, pretty heavily overused word, I think. I think. I don't know. Because uh, here's the thing. Like, um, we got uh, our, our own native son. Uh, Jordan Peterson likes to comment on postmodernism a lot, and um, I, I think, for, for the record, 
about Jordan Peterson because as soon as I mention this guy's name, I'm becoming clickbait, I think. I won't include this in the episode description because I don't want to become clickbait. But the the thing about Jordan Peterson is that I, I have no doubt he's a very accomplished clinical psychologist. Uh, it, it seems like he was. It seems like he was very prolific. It seems like he's very well read. Um, I don't believe he's a very good philosopher. Uh, I believe he's attributing an agenda to postmodernism, and let's um, let's say let's uh, settle this one real quick. Like, uh, yeah, Derrida did have an agenda. Yeah, he had sympathies. Yeah, he made NASA himself in his later life conforming to those. But I wouldn't say there's a coherent agenda to Derridian postmodernism, just in general, because that's all about reaction. It's it's. Not reactionary politics, quite the opposite, but reaction to text, reaction to language. And in many ways, it's a challenge for systems not to be trolled. That's what that's what Derrida was really good at, was basically trolling people. Um, and I think you can really you can really look at Derrida's legacy in retrospect, because Derrida was a joke in France by the time he was becoming very popular in the States. Uh, sort of a reverse Jerry Lewis situation. And the funniest thing I have ever, uh, like, just sort of, well, I, I was reading about this earlier, was that Derrida spent his entire, his entire career that he's famous for trying to say, there, you know, any agenda is suspect, language is suspect, and then using language to try and point out an agenda. And that's just... That is a hypocrisy, and that is the deterioration of later work, I would think. If anyone here is a Der Derrida expert, feel free to correct me uh, at, at some point. But, uh, yeah, feel free to actually call into the studio. I could use the company. Uh, the number is – hold on a second. Let me just uh, uh, try to remember where the number is. I, I really should write these things down. I do write them down. I, I have, like, a whole bunch of things – you know, written down. Yeah, I write them longhand, so yeah. But but Derrida, I, I think that among other things, Jordan Peterson has incredibly misinterpreted Jacques Derrida, and this this has no relevance to the arts almost at all. Um, but I, I I thought it was funny. This has been on my mind recently, um, and as you may tell, I just like to follow these little roads uh, wherever they may lead. Um, oh, yeah, the on-air line, 604-822-CITR, which is 2487. Uh, call in if you've got any grievances. Uh, you know, like I said, I could use the company. Um, we're going to take a short PSA break, and then when I return, I'll continue to, I don't know, do befuddling things. If you appreciate Future Bass, Grime, Footwork, Dubstep, Halftime, Trap, or Sexy Bassy Dance Music, then join us on Friday, April 13th at the Imperial with international talent Thelum and Aztec, plus locals Tal Malaw, Michael Red, and Barley. Search The Deeps on Facebook for details.
Over 250 bands, comedy acts, film, and art in more than 35 venues across the city. This year's festival features guest curator Deerhoof, innovative indie rock act Dirty Projectors, electronic innovators Mount Kimby, versatile folk pop duo Way Oak, futuristic hip-hop titans Shabazz Palaces, outsider pop tour John Mouse, and many more yet to be announced. Visit sledisland.com for details, travel deals, and to get your festival pass. And welcome back to the Arts Report. Still broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I will put uh, spaces between those words at some point. Uh, my name is still Jake Clark, and I have been joined in the interim by Valerie Metho and Letitia Wadhams. Uh, you guys want to say hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. You're on the air. How are you doing? We're great. Good, thank you. How are you? I, I can't complain. Just sort of been uh, going into digressions for the past past 20 minutes. You know, we are talking about uh, Derrida a little bit and Burt Lancaster, as you do. Um, now, you guys are affiliated with uh, the Roundhouse Theater, and you guys are bringing us a very interesting show. Um, oh, sorry. Hey, uh, called The Release Party. And yes. um, I was wondering if you wanted to unpack that a little bit, just to tell us what we're dealing with. Sure. Uh, we're part of some assembly theater company, and it's the Roundhouse Youth Theater Action Group project. And we're all about creating plays that are based on issues facing youth. And the release party was created by... 12 diverse youth from all over Vancouver with myself. It was a collaboration and it's based on issues and concerns that the youth wanted to raise awareness to the public. And so over a period of about two months, the play was created and it's a celebration of youth expression in a pursuit to manage struggles with mental health, bullying, and suicide prevention. And that's very interesting to um, to me because there's a definite link between, you know, the experiences of the, these sort of otherness, would you say? Like, like being and, you know, sort of developing that need for expression. Uh, I see, you see it a lot in comedy. You see it a lot in music. And... Um, I was – there's several youth uh, collectives we've sort of encountered, like Eternal Theatre Collective. Um, what would you say is the scenario? Because Vancouver seems like a very fertile city for this. What is it like to, to put these things together? How do people sort of come to this? Um, we put a call out in the fall um, through the Roundhouse, um, some assembly theatre company – website, uh, Vancouver School Board, Sarah McLaughlin School of Music, Vancouver Coastal Health, all of our partners. And There's a Sarah McLaughlin youth, School of Music? Yeah. They're a big, important partner of ours because we always um, promote uh, live music in our productions. And they're all original pieces, and the youth get to work with musicians who work out of Sarah McLaughlin School of Music. Um, and Letitia is uh, somebody who had that opportunity, and she plays the role of wind 
and the release party celebrates the release of her new single. And I, I actually got a question for Leticia, if she wouldn't mind uh, answering it. Like it, this um, role, like obviously there's a musical background, but what sort of personal ex- are is there a personal element uh, for you specifically? Like what what um, sort of drew you to this? Yeah, so I'm I come from Alert Bay, BC, a part of the Kwakwaka'wakw Nation. And um, my character, her name is Wind, and uh, what she brings forth is um, the issue on missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada. And um, my grandmother, um, her daughter was murdered when she was six, and um, I really wanted to bring awareness because I've seen the way that it affected my family and my community and the way that it affects the nation. And um, good lord, yeah, it's really important that we bring awareness that yeah, these women that have gone missing and murdered are sisters and mothers and aunties and cousins. It's a horrible issue. There was um, there was actually an opera um, uh, a, a, about a year back called Missing um, that that raised that topic. We um, we had some people in, I believe, to talk about that. It was. Yeah. Um, it's obviously a very, very dark and very pressing issue. It's something that's been uh, quite uh, horribly ignored. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> sorry, I went to a pretty dark place there. Um, regarding the the musical element, as uh, sort of um, an interesting thing about that. Like, uh, for, this is a question for both of you, by the way. Um, what is a uh, sort of a, uh, what were you listening to while you were writing or producing this? Like, what to you is uh, is a significant uh, work of music, work of expression in general? That's a really cool question. Thanks. Leticia came up with her piece. Her lyrics were all written from pretty much the very beginning, and it was a really inspiring process. She worked with Roop Sidhu. Who? Um, Who? Sorry. Was the, his name is Roop Sidhu, and he's a really awesome, energetic uh, hip hop musician, uh, rap artist, and we got to work with him. He worked with Letitia on the backtrack of her piece, and he um, was the engineer who produced it. And the. The music and the script writing actually went hand in hand. Um, In the development of of the script, we saw that music was needed in certain parts. For example, we realized early on um, in brainstorm sessions that we wanted to raise awareness to suicide prevention. So a key partner of some assembly theater company is Vancouver Coastal Health. So we had a specialist come in who uh, focuses on suicide prevention and she spoke with us and she was saying that socializing is very important as well as expressing oneself through the arts. And there's something very key about expressing oneself through music. She was talking about how, um, for example, the strings on a guitar, the vibration really helps with um, heart rate and promotion Mm -hmm. of good uh, mental health. 
So because of that, our character, one of the characters in the play who did try to commit him, commit um, suicide, he, um, through the process of the play, is creating a song um, about his um, healing process. And near the end, he performs the song and he plays the ukulele. So um, it's quite inspiring. There's a lot of hope in this play. We're speaking about very deep, serious issues. But it's really important to us that we bring hope into the play. And we certainly do because Letitia's character wins with her expressing herself and standing in truth in what she believes in, it really creates this inspiring community that we see on stage all standing in their truth. And um, she, she promotes everybody basically to express themselves and what is meaningful to them. So at this release party, we actually get to see people performing dance, spoken word, music, painting, and there's even somebody doing parkour. So the release party... Parkour? I know. So I'm just trying trying to picture how that's going to go down in the venue. I know. It's pretty fun, I got to say. It's it's really dynamic. Um, Nikita, who's the one who does the parkour, he does flips in the space. And it's just really inspiring. And everything that the youth are doing on the stage um, enables us to break our patterns because we think that everybody, you know, sometimes gets locked into these patterns. And to see such dynamic expression on the stage in the release party, it's, it's super inspiring and motivating. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds the part. So um, where, now this is uh, where where can we where can we check this out? Where can we see the show? And when? <laughs> I'm yeah, sold. We're, we're you had me at parkour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're um, our place going public at the Renfest, May second to the fifth. Oh right. And, okay. and uh, we take donations. We it's super important to us that the play is accessible to the general public. Um, so we do take donations, and for anyone who's interested, you can go to our website, someassembly.ca, or you can phone 604-603-5247 to reserve your seat, or just show up at the Roundhouse. Sort of a pay-what-you-can kind of thing? Exactly. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm, I've, I've been seeing some of the, sh- the shows doing pay-what-you-can in Vancouver, and that's very interesting to me for the um, for the issues of you know uh, accessibility and money, and you know how in Vancouver there's definitely uh, a certain price hike on a lot of things. And um, what what do you think about that though? How does that affect the audience? What does that say about the show? Um, just in general, not just um, the show specifically. Yeah, I think that it says that there's social awareness for companies who do that, it means that the company has to spend extra time to get extra funding in order to make that happen. For example, uh, one of my jobs as executive director of some assembly is to write grants. So it means that I just have to buckle down and write more grant applications to make sure that our socially conscious 
play certainly will reach out to the general public. And we're certainly aware that it is challenging to live in Vancouver with the high rent prices and high cost of living with food, transportation, etc. So yeah. Yeah. So some assembly is all about using theater uh, for social change. And um, that really comes through right to the bottom line of just pay what you can. We just really want you in the audience and come be part of the community. If there's one thing you want people talking about coming out of the theater, what would it be? This is, again, for both of you. Like, say, say you're standing outside of the theater after the show and you see some people passing, passing out going, what, what, would it, what would be the most validating to hear the two of them jawboning about? I think it would be super awesome that the audience is inspired by what they see on the stage. What they're going to see are young people being very brave with honest dialogue and for me i've been doing this for 17 years for even some of the adults who i know these young people are way more brave in what they're willing to talk about so the audience is going to be extremely moved and empowered to look at their lives and really see what changes they can make so that we can make this the future the kind of future that we can all live in. And there's got to be some major change. I think that we've just got to um, be more mindful of each other, aware of each other, and understand that we live in this world together. And and we've just got to make some positive change. And that's what people are going to get from this play. It's a sign of the times, eh? Well, yes, that, yes and no, I'd say. You know, it's, um, it's an issue that's been present for a while whether or not it's recognized, right? That's true. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, uh, so definitely check that out at the Roundhouse uh, coming up pretty soon. Um, Letitia, would you would you have anything to add to that? Sorry if we were talking over you there. Yeah, definitely. I think I would want um, the audience to know that the future is promising. That um, Kidding, I want to hear that. All the time. <laughs> We're all, all of us, all of the cast are there to try and make a change, and I think that's what the play is all about. Um, I appreciate Wind it. And, uh, Wind and Emberlin are the two main characters, and uh, they're opening the space for the youth to express themselves and create meaningful connection in the community, and I think that's um, what we're doing. Does it... Is there that is there a real world equivalent to that? Would you say? Definitely, the Roundhouse Youth Theater Action Group is all about that. All right, good, good, good plug there. All right, so check out check. Sorry, <coughs> sorry. Uh, my throat failed me for a second. Yeah, you, you hate it when that happens, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. Check out. Well, well, you've got you've got to sing. I think I think that I think the people at the radio station have told me not to sing. I've done it enough times. <sighs> so uh, <laughs> definitely check out the release party at the Roundhouse Theater. And um, it was it was great to have you guys on the show. Uh, it seems you. like some really admirable work you're doing. Thank you so much. Cheers. Yes, it was awesome speaking with you. Likewise. Bye. Bye. 
so that was um yeah that sounds like some some pretty heavy stuff honestly like like when i think about what i was doing as a teenager like i barely have a spine now like that my my god like that's just a lot of a lot of calcium there you know it's you know it's it's uh pretty admirable stuff okay so we're going to take um Another short PSA break. This episode today uh, is actually going to be uh, a little short, as some of the coming episodes may be during the uh, uh, summer season uh, for for various uh, reasons. And, uh, yeah, so just um, check out uh, a word from our, from our sponsor, the people who were so kind as to give me a radio show, and I'll be back momentarily. To understand more about fashion, we asked CITR student executive and fashion expert Jonathan Q what fashion means to him. Like, it's just aesthetically something that's so ostentatious. Typically, typically. I mean, because of course, I mean, it's also, you know, I mean, when, when you say fashion, I think people are talking explicitly about uh, consumerism as opposed to someone who buys, like, uh, like you know, let's say, you know, someone buys it. If you really want to know more about fashion, come on down to CITR in the Student Union Building of UBC and pick up some of our merchandise à la mode. Nous avons t-shirts, sweatshirts, socks, and coffee mugs. But it's also very aesthetically gripping. To keep you styling in support of the station you love. Isn't that right, Jonathan? Well, actually, is it? Because, I mean, you know, I was going to say because of the cultural vacuum that we exist within, but then, you know, uh, really, fashion today is kind of derived from the European idea of couture, and that's been around for centuries. Let's see here. Oh, everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Oh, everybody. God, this is awful. Isn't there anything, anything, anything? Listening to the radio these days can be distressing. Fortunately, here at CITR, our programmers choose the music that they play, so our charts reflect what people actually listen to. To find out what's really topping the charts, pick up a copy of Discorder magazine, or check us out online at citr.ca. Unless, of course, you'd rather keep listening to the chart-topping single, Everybody Dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody dance. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? <laughs> Everybody Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. the Rio. They're actually having their 100th anniversary coming up pretty soon, so that's actually nice. You know, I, I've, as I've mentioned before, we have a pretty significant soft spot for the Rio over here, and, you know, I, 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 check, check them, stand by them if you can. Like, seriously, landmark. Landmark part of Vancouver. If the microphone's moving around, it's because the microphone's moving around. Now, um, yes, I have returned to you. Um, 
I should probably uh, wrap up that little tangent about Blindside. If you can, check it out. It's going on on Granville Island, actually, which, as anybody who's listened to the show knows, I love because uh, it's, it's walking distance from my house. That, that kind of helps. Uh, April 26th to 28th at Studio 1398. Um, and, you know, I... Uh, there's, we got some other things. We got some other shout-outs for you. Some interesting stuff, actually. Um, there is uh, the money shot. Now, the money shot, you get your head out of the gutter. The money shot is a play by Neil LeBute. Actually, get your head back in the gutter because it's a play by Neil LeBute. Um, Neil LeBute, for those uh, those unaware, is how best to describe him. I um, I have uh, uh, an interesting relationship sort of with with Neil Labute, that was the microphone, um, I think. Anyway, Neil Labute is uh, ex-Mormon. Uh, he wrote In the Company of Men, uh, which is what we all know him for. That's the reason he has any degree of credibility. Um, another thing he did was write the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, which, if you know your memes, not the bees, not the bees, not the, yeah, that movie. He wrote that. Thanks, Neil. Um... Neil is also the reason we, you've ever heard of Aaron Eckhart, so that's very nice, um, I, I would say. And uh, the the money shot is described as a wicked comedy by Neil Labute. Now, uh, Neil Labute, I mean, with the exception of the Chris Rock remake of Death at a Funeral, which he directed, uh, no, it doesn't make any sense. Um, the, Neil Labute's attitude towards humor is best described as sociopathic and cruel. Um, and it, it makes an art out of that. It's really very clever in depicting just the 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 depths of this really stinging verbal abuse you can levy on people. And in that regard, it's very interesting. A lot of the time, it's not my cup of tea, but it's worth checking out a lot of the time just because it's got this very interesting use of language. And that's definitely worth noting, especially... Um, in well, I, I we come back to this so often in the current media climate. Yes, yeah, no kidding. Like it's like I, I watched the death of Stalin the other day, and tangent. Yes, uh, the death of Stalin. By the way, that's awesome. Go see it. Um, the death of Stalin really shows you. Like it's really interesting because I think that is a film where you can literally say both sides will agree upon it. Because if if you're if if you're a, a, a right winger, you'll you'll be glad that Stalin died. Actually, most people will be glad that Stalin died. And, and, you know, the film is still pretty hard on the Soviet Union, justifiably so. And then if, if you're a left-winger, you'll, you'll be glad to see the sort of divide it's got going on with... Um, with uh, Great, I'm creating a dichotomy here. That's, that's great. That's, that's what we need, more division. You, you can like it either way. It's not an overt satire of one thing or another, but it is useful to know because the Soviet Union was a terrifying place to be a human being, but it was... No, there's no but there. It was a terrifying place to be a human being, and this shows that. It, it, it's funny. It's really funny. It's got Patty Considine in it, which is good enough for me to watch a movie on its own, but he's not in much of it, but he's still good. Um... It really does show you where that goes, where that attitude, that environment of terror and questioning, like it's, it's, uh, it really does show you how correct Orwell was with Animal Farm. Like 1984 is the is the book that people are saying is really relevant now. I mean, I remember, I remember after the NSA thing, like the copies of 1984 skyrocketed. 1984 has never stopped being relevant since its publication, but 
the thing that I keep saying but and I keep realizing it may not apply, but I think it does here. But I think the book that is most relevant or at least at any rate very relevant is Animal Farm because Animal Farm was written as a parody is not a parody, but an allegory for uh, the Russian Revolution, a very specific, fairly specific allegory, too. But the thing is that tyrannies are simple. They're simple things that are made, are enacted through complex action. And you have, in Napoleon the Pig, you have a temperament which is very adaptable. Uh, a good example is in Zimbabwe, I think in 06, there were these political cartoonists who got locked up. It, it wasn't like Danish cartoon controversy. There wasn't even a single people. Just, they're gone. Because the editions of Animal Farm they illustrated had... Uh, Napoleon with big old glasses, like Rob Mugabe. Yeah, Rob Rob Mugabe. We're on close terms. He's he might be immortal, which is which is sad because he's an awful human being. Um, but how do we get here? Death and stout. Death and stout. Ah, okay. Uh, nevertheless. Death of Stalin is, is 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 worth the money. I'm pretty sure it's going to win the Academy Award. We can't really endorse it on this show because it's not local. Uh, but still, very good movie. Um, and another thing... Oh, another thing, by the way, that I really want to shout out, because this looks insane, is called Circa, which is an Australian... Okay, so it, 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 it's, it's an Australian dance circus performed to the music of Dmitry Shostakovich. Now, um, you you can take any of those things, you know, dance theater, Shostakovich, Australians, and you know, do do um have a pretty straightforward show featuring them. But when you combine them, that just sounds like it's gonna be kind of awesome, and I feel like that's uh worth checking out to a degree. So yeah, tickets that's at the Chan Center. Actually, the show's called Opus. Uh, it's coming on April twenty eighth. So it's coming, it's coming up. Oh right, that's uh that's 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 it's is that Saturday. It's coming up pretty soon. So, yeah, if, if you're into that, definitely check it out. Like, it seems like some uh, Cirque du Soleil, not really Cirque du Soleil type of stuff. Like, definitely borrowing from a lot of really uh, modern dance. I wish I had Lua here. She'd be able to tell me this. But it looks pretty impressive. And, uh, yeah, that's that's about all uh, all we've got to report. You know, Blindside, uh, The Money Shot, Circa, Circa, um... We were going to mention Tigers Are Not Afraid. That's a, that's a movie. I'm not sure if that is showing anymore, but check out uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid is something that would have been very interesting to cover uh, if we could. But um, so, yeah, that that's also a good one. So it's a magical realist movie about um, these ghost towns in Mexico, these uh, cartel ghost towns, which sounds like it could be terrifying. But it's, it's um, yeah, pro- probably not as disturbing as that, that movie I saw earlier this year for the, with, the, with, the, with the teddy bears and the Greeks. Oh, God, what was that one? That one, yeah. Uh, go back in my history. Again, we can Google it. It's kind of awesome. Uh, yeah, so this has been a slightly experimental uh, episode of The Arts Report. It's also going to be a rather abbreviated episode of The Arts Report. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. Yeah, we we uh we make do with it. So yeah, and also yeah, oh yeah, and again, Rio uh Rio's 100th anniversary. Again, that really seems like it's going to be a great uh a great uh event. Like it's hosted by Paul Anthony, music by uh C.R. Avery and Jeff Burner, comedy by Patrick Ma, Ma-, Ma-, Ma- 
Maliha, 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 yeah. And Eric, Eric Fell, Graham Clark, Katie Ellen Humphreys, and Simon King. Poetry by Duncan Shields. Storytelling by T.J. Dawes. Oh, T.J. Dawes, cool. Uh, burlesque uh, by Cherry on Top. Crystal Precious and Crystal Precious, and there's going to be a dance party with DJ Dunks. So it's got it's got comedy, it's got slam, it's got uh, it's got it's got music, it's got burlesque. What more do you want? Are you not entertained? Like there's 18th century Frenchmen going, okay, it's, it's, it takes about right, yeah, yeah. That's a French accent, right? Yeah, there's a reason I don't live in Quebec anymore. Uh, okay, so um, yeah, this has been uh, the Arts Report. Uh, from the unceded Point Grey uh, camp, the uh, Musqueam people's unceded territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. Uh, I'm Jake Clark, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, cheers. Oh, sorry to interrupt Sam right there, but following me is the wonderful medicine show. They're gearing up outside, and it looks like it's going to be fun, as always. Uh, And back to our regularly scheduled programming.